Welcome to episode two of the new season of Roll for Enterprise. Thanks for sticking with us into the new year. It's been a relaxing holiday break, um, more or less. And <laughs> but uh, now we're into 2021 and it started with a bang. Uh, but we're not going to talk to any of that. Welcome back, Zach, Mike. Great to talk to you guys as ever. Thank you, Dominic. Yeah, it's great to be back. So let's get right into it with some tech news. Obviously, everyone's been following along with the SolarWinds hack. And the latest name to get added to, to the big stack is JetBrains. It looks like one of the crucial links in the chain of that exploit uh, might have been a JetBrains product, uh, TeamCity. So the article that we put in the show notes is about JetBrains' denial uh, of being directly involved in the breach. Uh, but my understanding is that it's not quite that simple. So it's not that JetBrains themselves got hacked or had malware inserted like SolarWinds did, but rather that one of their products was a crucial link in the CICD chain. And just the nature of those products, there's TeamCity, it's about remote execution. And remote execution is very convenient for everyone, including attackers. It's a great way to execute code on remote systems, uh, which is a big honking vulnerability once people are inside and have access to that thing. So that's looking like what it might be. Does that tally with what uh, you two have been hearing? That's what we've been hearing, or at least what I've been hearing. Um, also, I mean, maybe we take a, an American perspective to the news because what everybody talks about is that it's a, a Czech company with um, with a Russian CEO. So yeah, the uh, the conspiracies on, on Russia are, are uh, fairly strong on on this side of the pond. I don't, I don't know what you're hearing, Zach, um, or, or what you've uh, read up on here. Yeah, no, much of the same. And I can tell you in the startup world, it amazes me that um, I think this is going to have wider implications. I can tell you that a lot of startups leverage a lot of the uh, Russian developers, which creates issues when there's acquisitions. And um, I can tell you, you know, that where I'm at right now, uh, we leverage a lot of contractors there. So I wonder how that's going to get impacted. But um, well, I forget who broke the JetBrains story and all that over over the weekend. But uh, I guess the what what we're hearing here is that the the focus is really on how SolarWinds had distributed some of their development in some of these companies like uh, Belarus, uh, Czech Republic, and other places, and and it's calling into question a lot of it. And I, I don't know if it's it's going to stop because I think you know labor arbitrage around developers is still strong, um, so it's it's going to call into question a lot of things long term. Uh, but the other surprise and shock is like, if you look at the companies that use JetBrain, because there were a lot of uh, of companies uh, named that are JetBrain customers, uh, including Google and a couple of other big ones. I, I don't know. Do you, do you guys think there's going to be repercussions there and everybody's going to start to evaluate like who's in their environment and, and what what software vendors they're using? I think so. I mean, two parts to that question. I think JetBrains themselves are probably more or less in the clear. I mean, they might have some sort of PR level repercussions, but it's one product and it's not a particularly widely used product of theirs. It's not their main product line. So I I don't think there's justification for major pushback there. Uh, on the other hand, and as I said the first time around when it was just SolarWinds at the time, I said the big thing is that this is a supply chain, a dev pipeline hack, and that's going to cause people to look very carefully about 
what they put into that pipeline, how they configure it, who they give access to different parts of it. And this goes back to these, this ongoing change in security posture. We used to be able to have an inside and an outside, and you could be quite relaxed about what was inside the firewall because it was inside. It's behind the firewall. Don't worry about it. Nobody is going to mess around with it. And these days, it's not nearly so clear cut. There is no inside and outside. You can't say, oh, we don't need to lock that down um, because everything is either accessible directly or potentially accessible uh, through lateral movement. And so that has not entirely sunk in, but this is uh, a big uh, wake-up call for people who had not quite got the memo yet. Well, think about that, though, that firewall analogy. It's about protecting your crown jewels, which for most organizations is data. So let's say you're an organization, your data is protected, it's encrypted, you know, and you had this hack. You should still be, you know, yeah, you were hacked, but you're you're probably going to be okay. I think you're right, though. A lot of organizations probably need to reevaluate that. And then I wonder, isn't cloud a shared infrastructure? I, I know there's security that's in place. Just someone else's computer, so I hear. Yeah. Yep. So I wonder, <laughs> you know, is something is something happening there that, you know, we'll just find out about that it's been going on for a while. I just, I think it's, uh, it's just too good to be true that there's nothing going on there. Everything is fine in that world. You know, everybody's going to reevaluate so many aspects of of development and how they select vendors. It, it, this is going to have uh, far-reaching uh, implications. But as well, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of companies are going to choose to develop themselves in a, in a lot of aspects um, in, in, when it comes to this. That's one possibility uh, that people will start to take more ownership, bring knowledge back in-house, and they'll start to recognize the things that they thought that were undifferentiated actually can be highly differentiating. Uh, on the other hand, I think once you alter your security posture correctly and you start focusing on configurations and processes and accesses and, and don't assume that something is safe just because it's behind the firewall, if you truly internalize that, the cloud is no less safe than your internal systems. Uh, and potentially more safe. I mean, Google, Amazon, Microsoft have much larger security teams than any, uh, even the largest corporates. And so people like Goldman Sachs are perfectly happy to work with Amazon <laughs> on that basis. Um, but jumping around in the agenda a little bit, so with apologies to my co-hosts, I think this is also what's driving a different trend, which is some of the changes in the uh, M&A market uh, that we saw last year with uh, a big spike in acquisitions, and that goes on top of the ongoing drop in IPOs. Uh, so I think lots of companies and lots of startups that had built what were effectively features, not standalone products, uh, are getting snapped up and folded into wider platforms, with one of the biggest, most recent examples being, of course, Salesforce's acquisition of Slack. And I think that is going to be a part of it, that people are going to look to simplify those supply chains, those configurations, by reducing the number of vendors that they talk to. And that means that they're, they're going to want to have the famous one-throat choke. Uh, they want to have a, a relationship with one vendor who can give them all the features that they want. They configure one API endpoint for all of those features and go from there instead of having 27 different API endpoints and you have to worry about securing each one. I, I, I agree. M&A is going to accelerate, but I, I think it's also driven by the amount of uh, 
cash that some of these companies have, at least the bigger players. But as well, I mean, you, you think about it, if you've built a business and you haven't built kind of, um, I don't want to say a platform, but enriched it over time, and you're still like one product is is what brought you to, let's say, uh, stardom or or success or you know whatever it is that that one product and you haven't developed it then it's it's ripe for acquisition and I think what's also going to fuel it is let's say there's two companies that are looking at it I mean it's going to be some of the risk is going to be we want to acquire these guys because we don't want the another company to acquire them because then probably the moats come up and and really it's to move them inside and then one company can't use them versus another. It's, um, I think there's a lot of risk, especially in the software space. It's, it's, uh, it's going to continue and it's going to ramp up. I wonder how much of this is just a symptom of probably the last several, four years um, where small caps weren't performing as well. I just say that because, you know, you go public, um, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, you odds of are you going to do well um, up until a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm not trying to bring stocks into this conversation, but I, I think that it's relevant. You know, small caps haven't really done well, and uh, a lot of the attention's been on the large caps. Um, Mike, I mean, you've you've talked about this some. What do you think? Well, some people, you know, it's have might have trouble getting kind of investment dollars because, I mean, there is a monopoly issue, and and I think we're going to look at some of these these big corporate players like the Microsoft, the Apples, the Googles getting broken up, Amazon in there too. Because they can just copy you or they can just kind of eat you up, gobble. It's kind of like the um, the, the kill, copy, or, or destroy. And yeah, it's, it's fueled a bit, but companies haven't gone public for a long time. So are they really, can they really stand uh, alone on themselves without all this money being injected in them? There, there's so many questions. And I, I think every company sits a bit in a different, um, how should I say, um, a position, but yeah, it's going to ripple through through everything, I, I, I would imagine. Dominic, you bring up a great point, too. Uh, you know, these startups look different than they did, you know, four or five years ago. I think you said feature-driven. So that's interesting, too. Does that mean the VCs are – what are they looking for? I mean, they're backing some of this. Well, and I think that's part of it, that the, the prospects for getting the sorts of returns that VCs expect uh, are no longer there in the IPO markets, but they might still be there through acquisitions, uh, because in turn, VCs are funding the other side of the table as well. Uh, so uh, there's a bit of a Ouroboros there. Do we think people have stopped taking big bets? Like if somebody comes with like a big idea, potentially the next Facebook, and it's like a real big hill to climb, do you think company like VCs and, and the money dries up because it's it's too risky? And some of these like we're, we're talking about the the acquisition path and the features, but is that like the is that too easy to to kind of look away, and people are going after easy money rather than the hard money? I mean, VCs to a certain extent have to go after that. That's what their model requires, but that in turn requires a certain type of uh, of business model where you have huge levels of growth uh, fueled by taking on that that investment that debt. But at some point, you have to pay it back or fold. Uh, and the alternative is to do it completely differently. And Jira um, uh, was the counterexample that everyone was talking about that they'd done it completely differently, taken uh, no or very little outside investment, uh, and made a huge success of it. But they'd done that by taking a very different path to most of these VC funded startups. 
And it's also the trap that a company like Twitter finds itself in, that it's had all these inflated expectations, took the huge valuation, and now they're kind of stuck because they can't really grow to deliver against those uh, those valuations. So I think that's going to distort the market for at least the next little well, because these uh, these mechanisms take a while to work themselves through all the funding rounds. Uh, but I'm not surprised to see M&A going up because, like I say, it, it looks like the only exit uh, for many of these companies uh, once that uh, IPO exit goes away. But we'll see. I think there there are positive potential outcomes to that for from the point of view of an enterprise buyer because one of the, the problems that, that this market has always had for both both sides, for the vendors and for the buyers, and Mike, I'll ask you for your perspective in a moment, but from the vendor side, it's always been super, super tough to get in the door as a new vendor. And everyone's always like, oh, it takes ages to onboard a new vendor. It's such a mess. You have to go through procurement. It'll take an, an extra month, an extra two months, an extra three months. We'll have to add an extra X percent onto the price because procurement needs to knock that back off to show that they added value. It's a, it's a big pain. And that's just to get in the door. And then there's the technical integration and architecture. And you have to justify to umpteen different internal stakeholders why, yes, this might overlap slightly with the thing that you already have, but it's different in these ways. It's just painful for, for all concerns, at least. Certainly from the vendor side, but it also looks no fun uh, from from the buyer side. And having these uh, mega vendors, it's a one-stop shop. It's what we said comparing Slack to Teams, right? Teams, it might not be the best at anything, but it's got everything. It's got everything in one place. And it's, you've got to be really, really good to get out of that trap as as a vendor, as a new candidate product. What do you say, Mike? You're, you're absolutely right. So, so two things there. Number one, you could spend time like integrating all these products and, and you spend money on the integration or you just pick like who's ever there. So when you talk about Teams, yeah, it's already integrated into the whole Microsoft suite. So if you're a Microsoft customer, yeah, it might not be the best. Maybe Slack is better. Maybe something else is better. But hey, it's there. It's integrated. Let's go with it. And that's easy. The other, the, the second, the flip side of that, yeah, it's really hard to come into the door to a company and and become their, let's say, preferred vendor or, or, or sell them something from a cold call. To be honest, I mean, within a company, you're typically doing research yourself and you know what you want in once you do that research. And there's so much, so much collateral online that people can research. You're, you're looking at what other companies have done. Uh, potentially you're talking to other businesses. And, and then you're, you're, you have your decision even before you've spoken to anybody from either the company you want to talk to or any of its competitors. So it's not so much, you know, your online presence, your reputation. I mean, that's more important than, than potentially um, your, your sales staff and, and how you go to market and um, in, especially in some products, I, I would say. So, you know, our, our technical guys know what they want um, quite early, uh, to be honest. And, and I mean, if you're going to knock on a door and try to come into like an IT organization as a new vendor, there's always going to be skepticism. I mean, sometimes it might be like an a, a aha moment and yes, I need you. Or otherwise, you know, sometimes what I see is like the vendor trying to shove a square chip in a round hole and, and convincing us that that's what we need to do. And, you know, there's this whole like, well, you know, if you guys don't do this, you're you're missing out. And I mean, if you if you don't want the steak dinners and the rounds of golf, you know, just say so. <laughs> 
And, and that's the thing. Nobody, nobody wants that anymore. Nobody. Well, I mean, other than we can't, well, but nobody really wants that. Yeah. <laughs> nobody really wants that anymore. You know? Yeah. No, I agree entirely. And, and that's why open source uh, is so important. It, not for ideological reasons. I want to be open source, especially because uh, these days, very often you're not installing it yourself. You're consuming something via SaaS. And at that point, the fact is it's open source. It gets very theoretical, very abstract uh, pretty quickly. But it's because it's something that gives you an easy way to evaluate uh, a technology in a small way, in a controlled way, without going through all this process. And so by the time you get started with a paper process, like you say, the technical people have already made their evaluation. They've already made their choice. And they come to procurement and they say, we want this. Buy us this, get us the best price, go. Uh, It's a completely different relationship than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, it, it's it's tougher for startups today to sell as well. Um, I think it's very difficult to, for some of these. And I think, again, it goes back to what you were saying, Dominic. Dominic, Dominic, Dominic today, right? It's it's these, it's you know. Maybe I've been it's saving it up over the holidays. Yeah, and maybe, it's, maybe it's the features. Uh, I'm not sure if cloud has impacted the way people think uh, or, if, or if, you know, maybe it's the decision makers have changed. Uh, from the customer side, Mike, do, do you find it, just the same or more challenging for startups to, to sell into your environment? Are you less apt to listen to them or more apt to listen to them or they're the same? It depends on the product they're pushing because for some, I mean, you know what, you know what we really like is the, the flexibility, um, the fact that, uh, you know, it's not so rigid compared to some of these uh, bigger companies that, uh uh, maybe a large enterprise organization deals with. So, you know, there's that. But then it's also like, are these guys going to be around? How stable are they? Who are their other customers? I mean, you don't want to be their their biggest or first customer, but at the same time, there might be advantages. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into weighing it. But um, yeah, some have an advantage and some don't. It's it, it really kind of depends. It's uh, awkward to say, but it's not so it's not so clear cut. But there are there are some advantages there. Yeah, from the point of view of a startup, the most annoying question that you get to deal with over and over again is, can you give me references? Who have you done this with? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, nobody. (laughs) I completely understand where customers are coming from. But on the other hand, from the, the point of view, or rather... I can see where the prospects are coming from. But the the thing is, turn it the other way around. Existing customers, startups by definition have a small number of existing customers and a large number of prospects they're trying to sell to anyone and everyone. So if they take every prospect they have past their three existing customers, very soon uh, you, Mike, as the existing customer, you'll stop taking any calls. You'll say, no, stop bothering me. I have you know, a company to run. I have a job to do. I can't be giving references for even this technology that I love uh, all day, every day. And so you have to be very, very cautious with that. But And again, that's where the, the open source mechanism comes in because it, it gives a way to say, look, I, I can tell you the stories, but why don't you try it yourself in your own environment? If it looks interesting in a limited scale uh, and you think that you might want to seriously engage here, then I'll put you in touch with your opposite number at company X and uh, get you, you two can talk about at that point the details, but it's it's also a way of breaking that logjam of tell me where you did it first. I don't want to be the first. I want to be the second. And you have a, a huge pipeline of people who all want to be number two, uh, but none of them want to be number one. Yeah, and I I think it's also like um, 
what the startup is pitching and who their competition is. If their competition is like a well-established company, then it's like, ah, you know, am I going to go with the start? Like, what's the value proposition here compared to the bigger deal? And I mean, it's not always cost that's driving our decision. It's also kind of, you know, what experiences do you have and have you gotten through some tough times? Because every company has issues, right? And and has had problems, but how well have you dealt with them? And and some some smaller companies might not have that experience. So this is why you want to go maybe with a bigger player. I, I think time to market's a big thing here too. You know, startups typically would have two, three, sometimes four years in stealth before they they came out of stealth ready to go. And you don't have two, three, four years. You don't even have a year. So maybe perhaps that's related to some of this. Maybe these features that they're positioning are because they have to get out to market quicker than they used to. I mean, we have to think about that side of the coin. It's it's not a game anymore where you have two or three years with your idea where someone else can come along and much quicker or a large organization, uh, a competitor, what established company can come along and just make that, you know, part of their offering, you know, fairly quick. So I think that's part of this. I don't know what you guys think, but it really is. Yeah. And that's the flip side of open source is that sometimes the one who comes along and takes it and runs with it is one of the the mega cloud providers. And I say, thanks for that open source project. I'm going to host that and it's going to be, uh, you know, your open source project on my cloud and I don't owe you anything because it's open source. <laughs> and that's not a great mechanism either. And there are various conversations going on for the last few years in the open source world about what to do about that, uh, whether to stick to the purity of the original open source vision or whether to be more pragmatic and if so, in what way. So, yeah, I think that's going to be one of the big drivers uh, of this transition. As ever, the the business model coupled with the technology hand-in-hand is what's actually going to get us somewhere. I'm sure, like I said, this has been something we talked about all last year. I'm sure we'll talk about it all this year, too. Uh, But this is episode two of this year, and episode one was our predictions. And we were planning at the end of the year to go back and give ourselves marks for predictions that uh, worked out and the ones that didn't. But uh, congratulations, Zach, you got one already. So <laughs> notch that up. Let's just mark this down. I'm one for one so far. <laughs> so I have the early lead, okay? I'm going to set up a yeah. website and I'm going to tally this. I'm in the lead. Here, but, here, here comes the victory lap right here, right here. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's interesting. Google's been talking about AI ethics for a while. So this the whole union, let's, let's get into that. And let's talk about that. But yeah, part of that was their concern about the future of AI ethics, which of course was one of the predictions. But more importantly than that, the uh, the whole union at Google is very, very interesting um, aside from that. But, you know, thank you, Dominic. I'll, I'm going to mark that down. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the story is, of course, this Alphabet Workers Union uh, that came up, Alphabet being the parent company of Google and a few other things that nobody cares about. Uh, and this was all precipitated by the scandal of uh, Timnit Gebru, the uh, AI researcher, was uh, unceremoniously let go by Google, and it became a huge story that kicked around and I think probably shook this loose earlier than it might otherwise uh, have happened. But it speaks to a number of trends, both the, the importance of AI ethics, as we were saying, uh, but also the the growing social consciousness, uh, if I may use that phrase, uh, of tech workers uh, typically had considered themselves, considered ourselves, quite frankly, uh, as above that sort of thing. We're just the the tech guys. Uh, What we do only matters inside the computer. It doesn't have real world implications. 
and that's been changing lately you know people are starting to recognize wait a minute if we build this stuff and it gets used in ways that we don't agree with i guess what that's kind of on us too uh we want to feel good about ourselves we want to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror uh and so that's driving a lot of these things it's a bit strange because i mean so google's got a i don't know 130,000 or so employees or, or or north of that and um, even more contractors, which is interesting because the union can also has some some contractors in there, which, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how that works. But I mean, you know, I, I take it from this side and yes, they, you know, they have issues with kind of what, what Google's doing in terms of, yeah, I think they, they mentioned like the Pentagon contract that uh, the employees made them walk away from that was, you know, doing targeted drone strikes, um, you know, some of the severance they've paid to some of their employees, Um you know, the censoring of uh, the search engine in China and all, all this stuff, right? So, but I mean, should employees really have a say on what products and, and um, you know, how a company makes money? I mean, it, to be honest, that's a shareholder um, kind of area. And now employees want to, you know, take part in some of these decisions. It, it's a bit... It, to me, it, it doesn't sound right, right? And, and if you look back, you know, let's go to autos and, and maybe it's a different kind of analogy here, but, you know, GM was in a, a union negotiation not long ago. And one of the things is that the union wanted uh, to control GM's product allocation. In other words, tell them like, hey, we don't want to make so many electric cars. We want to stick to gas cars because, yeah, that has more employees. I mean, and, and GM said, no, you, you got to be kidding me. We're going to die if we do that. And and here, this is kind of like, okay, the employees are taking over Google or, or is that their goal? And, and again, it's only 400 employees, but it, it sends like a, um, a clear message. But I, I have mixed feelings about it. Also, because I don't think it's it's all that bad if you work for Google in terms of, a, you know, stock pay and, and all that. It's it's a bit of a, a different world, I guess. Um, <laughs> that That's for sure. I mean, this is the, the European in me. I worked in Germany and their unions are huge. But the way yep, it works yep. is they are part of the the board of these large companies, and there's, it's a much more collaborative approach. It's not, uh, you know, strike at the drop of a hat, uh, do what we want or, or we walk uh, type thing. It's much more collaborative. Unions have approved uh, headcount reductions, to use the uh, HR euphemism, um, but also in the other direction. I remember I had been working nights. Uh, part of a data center migration and the card reader at work wouldn't let me back in until I'd been off the clock for I think it was 10 hours uh, it literally would not open for me it said beep boop not allowed in uh, go back home get more sleep I uh, said so that's the kind of healthy relationship that I would hope we would get uh, of course it's 2021 so who knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't it be the consumer the person person acquiring this technology or buying this they should decide if it's wrong, it's their decision. That's how you make decisions. And if they don't sell the product, then it's not going to do well, and it's going to get deprecated, or it's not going. Yeah, to- the problem with that though, if it's if it's Google, it's hard to extricate yourself entirely from Google. And there's that researcher tried <laughs> that yeah, project. Yeah. So was it last year, year before? Uh, time means nothing anymore. But they spent uh, some months, and each month they would try to completely remove themselves from one tech company, and they did all the fangs. And I think they found that Google was basically impossible to remove themselves from and still exist uh, as a person in the 21st century. It, it always has hooks and sinks into you. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I, I see both sides of that. I, I still. Think oh yeah. There's an option. It's black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, it's one thing to take advantage of workers, right? If they're taking advantage of workers, then, okay, something needs to be done and the union comes in. And I, you know, it does feel a bit, you know, when you read some of these articles, it does feel a bit like they're bribing these, like, hey, it sounds great that you're getting free food, free drinks and all this at work. But, you know, what? what's the cost of that really to me? So and also the fact that they have most of their employees are contractors, that, that doesn't sit well and, and yeah, it's a bit strange. That, that's a problem. I think that's a problem right there, where that most of them are contractors, and we're seeing a lot of that, more and more of that. And possibly and, dependent on the company for their visa status, so that's also it, it's a complicated And, and that's factor. another, yes, exactly. And that's another can of worms, too, is the fact uh, health insurance, or how are they getting around some of this other stuff? So to me, that's a different that's a different issue. Now, is that something that a union can solve, unionizing? I don't know, but they did bring attention to it, so give them credit for that. And you know, let's remember that this isn't uh, a union in the sense that we're used to, uh, you know, thinking of unions, right? And the fact that it's, I, I think it's not, uh, uh, was it officially voted on, right? There, there's an aspect of this that is a little bit different, right? Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I don't think other companies are going to follow. I think they're going to wait and see what happens here with Google. And then and then other companies potentially could have, organize, you know, organization efforts within their ranks. Let's Let's see how it plays out. Yeah, and I think one other aspect of this too is, you know, that was brought up is, you know, some of the uh, executives with big bonuses, um, you know, that may have had uh, accused of having sexual harassment claims. I don't know. I'm not in their HR department, right? And some of these other things. So, I mean, there is a big ethics, you know, uh, push to this. And again, it it's working for them. They're getting the attention to these kind of issues that they see in the organization that they want changed. Is it the right way? I don't know. Time will tell. But it truly is, is a, not a union in, in the in the way that I would typically think about unions, Mike, or even to your GM example is a little bit different. But it, again, it is working and they're bringing attention to this. So let's wind up with the first round of recommendations for this year. So over the the holidays, uh, I spent a lot of time on my bike because I weren't allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> the one thing we were allowed to do was individual exercise as long as we didn't go outside the borders of uh, the the local government area. And so I rode basically every day that it wasn't actively snowing and even one day that it was. So one thing that is really important when you're doing that is to be visible, especially when it's snowing or, you know, right now days are pretty short. Um, So I invested in some new lights and a bell because lots of other people are out there doing the same thing. So I got these from a company called Knog. I don't know how that's pronounced, but K-N-O-G. We'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, the Knog blinders, front and rear, and they really do <laughs> do what it says on the tin. They're a bunch of uh, patterns of lights that you can do. But the bell is probably my favorite part. You have to look at this thing. Click on the link in the show notes. Uh, it's basically a little ring of metal that goes around the handlebars uh, with a tiny little clapper. Uh, so it doesn't look like a bell at all. You can completely overlook that there's anything there. Uh, and on you know my bike with the drop bars, that was kind of important to me not to ruin the arrow, not to look dorky. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a look, it's a look. Let's face it, uh, and, and it's amazing. It, it's uh, it works for that, but it also makes a good noise uh, when I need it to. You can hit the clapper with gloves. Uh, highly, highly recommended if you ride in the city or anywhere around other people. I'm not putting it on my mountain bike, but uh, on the on the other bikes, I'm putting these knock bells everywhere. How about you, Mike? I see you, to- you took one of my recommendations. That's a good one. 
Yeah, we were we were talking. This was quite a while ago, and um, you know, you were using these gyroscopic balls, uh, power balls. Not a great maybe uh, website name. Uh, and I got one over the holidays, and to be honest, it um, it's almost like a fidget spinner. You know, it becomes a yeah, it does. and uh, just, just yeah, just to um, you know um, stop the monotony of what you're 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 always doing and your hand motion and, and strengthen those uh, yeah avoid carpal tunnel basically. So I I would highly recommend um, yeah a real neat product too. So interesting. You Zach. Let me just say I have that training ball and I think it's great. Um, I, I like it. I, I need to use it more. And then as far as the bike lights and the bell, I think I'm going to look into that bell, Dominic. I have the old-fashioned bell um, here in the island when I ride around, but I like the look of that thing. So good recommendations. Mine is virtual escape rooms for team building. Uh, we had an event right before the holidays, a virtual escape room. And for those that aren't familiar with escape rooms, uh, typically pre-pandemic, you'd go somewhere and you'd have a group of four to eight people. You have two or three rooms and it's a series, it's a mystery and you have 60 minutes to escape. So you, you find a an envelope or you find a clue and you keep adding up the clues and based on the theme, you get to the end. And so these are now virtual and they are great team building events. We had one, like I said, a week before Christmas and it was just amazing. I was a little skeptical about how this would work uh, remotely, but uh, it is amazing. There's somebody that's actually physically there with their camera on. You get into a Zoom session and then also in the Zoom session, there's as you pick up more clues, you know, there's a window that pops up and, you know, you see the clues that you have and everybody collaborates. And it really was a great, great team event. I've taken part in some of them too, and they are they are pretty good, and and they've gotten better and better from the start of the pandemic to now. So I, I would highly recommend that as well. I have to admit, I haven't taken part in any of these online team building things just because of time zones. Uh, but my colleagues in the US have been doing them and have thoroughly enjoyed them. So eventually, we'll get enough people in in the same time zone that I can join one. But Anyway, with that, let's end this episode. It's been a pleasure to talk to you two as ever. Thanks to the audience. You can follow the show on Twitter at Roll for Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, so stick with us into 2021. As ever, please do send us your suggestions for topics and or guests for future episodes. We have a couple of interesting guests already lined up for upcoming episodes, so stay tuned for those. And with that, thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks, everyone.